0: We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F- that! You don't got time! For that. All right, Let's go! Crank it! Crank it! Across.
1: Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN.
2: Hey, what's happening? Welcome into to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We have lots going on today. Um, some KU football news. We're going to talk with Michael Swain of Fog.net at the top of the five o'clock hour. Some recruiting and other stuff going on with him. We've got another edition of the lie detector test. We are going to talk with Porter Grieve of Mercury, which is the parent company for RockChalk.io.
0: We're not going to find out if he's lying. He'll tell the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lie detector test is other people.
2: Yeah, I wonder if if anybody ever looks at that. Like, if they're a guest of the show and they don't listen to the show and they see as we tweet out the rundown, and we tag them. They're like, are they like doing a lie detector. They're test gonna ask. The, they yeah,
0: they're gonna make me take a lie detector test. Yeah. What the hell? I didn't agree
2: to that. Uh also some uh little news the Big 12 Big East challenge is out Kansas is going to take on Seton Hall.
0: So that was um you know was thing. it did they just happen to play St. John's last year or was that that part of the That was the Big 12 Big East. They played Villanova. I was going to say it just it feels years. like that I I get you want to do a rotation um and there's some I mean there's not some there's a decent amount of basketball tradition at Seton Hall. Of course, the storyline there is that their coach was the guy who uh, just led St. Peter's to an Elite Eight, but I just feel like that's—I get why you wouldn't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again, but I I don't know why you wouldn't want Villanova and Kansas to play as much as possible.
2: Yeah. No, I I just think they should do it, and I think this is how they should do the Big 12 SEC one as well. Yeah, They should do it based on, you know, what did you finish? Yeah. And versus what did they finish? So the number one plays number one. And I get it. It's not always perfect because you can't determine. you to lose
0: recruits or right. transfers. Well,
2: is there anything stopping it from them just picking the matchups? Like, I don't know. Like, I guess this one's tougher because it's the beginning of December. But for the SEC one, like, why not pick the matchups in December when you have a better yeah, idea? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Right. I, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Wait till. I don't know. Even January, you know, right after the first of the year, so of like
2: four weeks in between. You you would know going into it, like if it's a home game or an away game. Yeah, so yeah, people yeah. Can
0: buy tickets. You just I don't know. That's not a bad idea, but no, I I just um I don't know. But look, Seton Hall is a cool. Um, they've got you know uh, some years of uh, you know of, of some success. I know they. are I don't think they made a Final Four since eighty nine. Um, but they you know they've been a. a Pretty consistent team in the tournament. Um, you know, I think it, they've kind of had those, like, three years in, two years out, three years in. KU played, it, played them, um, and it was closer than I think a lot of people wanted. wanted it would have wanted to be the year Kansas made a Final Four. Um, they played Seton Hall as their second-round opponent, and um, that Carrington kid just toward the end of the game kept splashing home threes.
2: Yep, Kadeen Carrington, Angel Delgado, that whole— uh, But we start off today's show— with a Joe s deep dive we are continuing on with our player deep dives i'm trying to think who we still have all left to go we have Joe sifu kyle cuff grady dick mj rice christian brown although you know i'm kind of holding that one off because i don't think we really even yeah there's, need there's to a do reason it. there's a reason we've not and same done with christian jalen brown wilson yet. yeah uh, i still lean toward him being back but i want to wait on that one just to make sure and then if you know if he gets any transfers, we'll have a deep dive on that. So Joe Yesfu was a transfer who came in last year. He spent two seasons at Drake. And Drake is a Missouri Valley school. It was a a really good Missouri Valley school. Made the NCAA tournament last year. um, And in that season... Yesifu averaged 13 points per game, essentially 38% from three really good numbers. And they really spiked in the bigger months of the season. He averaged 16 and points per game in February. He averaged 21 points per game in the month of March. And so I, I believe that the timeline works here for Joe Yesifu that this next year would technically his be his fourth year of college, but he would still have two years left to play because of the COVID year. Um, and this is what he did with KU. It didn't automatically translate right away, which is interesting because it's not just that he was putting up 21 points per game in, in Missouri Valley play. Like he, he dropped 20-something points on USC, a USC yep, team that killed Kansas. Killed Kansas. Right?
0: He had one of the most memorable dunks of the that tournament last one, yeah. year, of the 2021
2: tournament. Um, so he played 34 games this season, nine and a half about minutes per game, a little over two points, about a rebound assist per game, almost half a steal. Uh, the shooting percentages were not great, 34% from the field, 26% from three, and 70% from the foul line, which to me just it makes this uh, like pretty clear to me about what the future potential, what the future role, whatever that's gonna be over Joe Yesfu. Like the swing skill there is the shooting because what they got from Drake, the talk was this is a combo guard who's athletic and create can create his own shot and that was something they thought they were missing last off season. And he ended up this year, like the role he played and what he was good at he was more so like a ball mover and a, a good pressure defender.
0: Yeah, he was almost the same. He was basically, he spent a lot of time being, um, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there were moments where he was the only point guard on the floor, but he spent a lot of his time on the floor being the second point guard um, when in those lineups where he maybe you moved Ochai or, or Ochai gets a breather or you move Ochai down to the three. Um, he kind of took up the position of what would traditionally be seen as the two uh but basically the second the second point guard uh when he was on the floor i think there was even some moments in the big 12 tournament where he and remy spent time on the floor together um but yeah that kind of became his role i think initially maybe they brought him in i don't know i wasn't in the the meetings but outwardly it seemed like it he was brought in as kind of ochai insurance
2: um see i thought that was more jalen coleman lands yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm just—I I guess, guess if it was one of the first guys, that he actually might have been maybe the first. maybe not
0: insurance, but I guess similar position. I guess is what I'm trying to say—a a more of a, more of a a shooter and less of a distributor. But he became a, a little more of a distributor this year.
2: Yeah, I I thought it was because it was the talk of you know the athleticism and, and you didn't really have a guy on that twenty. 20- Twenty one team people definitely made the connection, to self saying we need
0: to get more athletic.
2: They didn't really have like a, a guy who could go get his shot and that that little guard that like like what Remy Martin is and was for this past year's team, and they didn't really have that. And so you went out and got Joe Yesfu. This was before Remy Martin even hit the market, and it was like okay, well he can he can be that guy for next year's team. And I I honestly remember last offseason, like before Remy Martin happened, being like oh Joe Yesfu he might be a starter or he might play twenty five minutes a game. And then even when Remy Martin happened. I, there was like talk for a little where it was okay. Could Joe start next to Remy Martin? They play the two little guards, and then it was Dewan Harris uh, kind of getting the last laugh there over everyone. But that's why the swing skill to me is the is the shooting because uh, we didn't see it last year. And he did show the defense. He did show that ball movement, and he did show some athleticism. He's not like an overly big guy, mm-hmm. but you know showed a lot of quickness and, and bounce and stuff. That if he is a good shooter, if he does look like the guy that that ended his career at Drake with just going off and being able to hit threes and being able to hit shots off the bounce, then he becomes a, a very real player in the rotation. Otherwise, it becomes a lot more of a competition of where are you going to be in the pecking order with the guards? How many lead guards are you going to have on the team? Like, that's part of this, too. It's an incomplete puzzle right now. We don't know the full roster.
0: Yeah, he he is... Um... He's basically part of that group of what's the line behind DeWan. I think we all can basically confirm, barring some major change, barring somebody having just an incredible offseason, the Tyrese Hunter possibility is there, although I, I think it, the tea leaves seem to point to him going somewhere besides Kansas. It's not impossible. He, he, he visited Kansas, so maybe he shows up. But in general, I think Joe Yesifu right now is in that group of guys that you go Who's getting the minutes behind Dewan Harris? Because Dewan is coming back as the starting point guard. And then who's getting those minutes? Either some of them will be will come alongside Dewan Harris, and some will come when, when Dewan's getting a breather, and who is, is taking up that allotment. Yeah. And like if
2: you look at the the current roster for KU, um obviously you have DeWan, Bobby Pettiford, and Joe Yesfu, who are all those like guards. Um as far as other guys who could play the two position, like Grady Dick, MJ Rice could play the two, but like that's about it. And those guys could again, like you know, Kevin McCuller comes on or Tyrese Hunter, or whoever, then those guys would as well. But right now, it's it's just those guys. But those guys are going to play some three minutes. Those guys might play some four minutes as well. So the point is that
0: i going to say, so, uh, uh, I mean, it's not unheard of to have a six five two, but that'd be a pretty pretty long. I mean, that's what two. Ochi was. Yeah, um,
2: uh, I I think that you. You look at this and you say there are a lot of minutes available this year that they could play a lot of two-guard lineups together. I don't think it, it'll be the entire time, but if you told me you have 60 minutes between those three lead point guards to divvy out, I would believe that. You know, you have 30 to Dewan Harris or something, and 20 to the next guy, 10 to the last guy, or 15 and 15 if they're on equal playing. I, I could see that very much happening, um, which I guess brings us to the realistic floor, which Okay, like I said, we're, we're still waiting on the, the roster to be complete. And, yep. and this is one of those positions where it, it definitely impacts it. Tyrese Hunter just finished up his visit with KU. He has KU among his final six. I don't know that Kansas is considered the favorite. We'll talk more with Michael Swain about that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. If you do bring on Tyrese Hunter, though, that makes things a lot more difficult for both Bobby Pedford and Joe Yesufu because then immediately you're saying, Tyrese Hunter and Dewan Harris are our top two guards, and now Pettiford and Yesifu, basically they're competing for just one spot, honestly, because I, I think it's it's fair that you could assume that three lead guards could play on this next year's team, given that there is that allotment for extra minutes at the two,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but it, it's hard to see four playing. So from that standpoint, if Tyrese Hunter or a uh, another type of lead guard who we just haven't heard yet would come in and transfer in, then it's, it's the competition between Pettiford and Yesivu becomes who can be the third guard and who can be in that rotation. And then whichever them loses that battle, you're probably not really a part of the rotation. But if if no lead guard transfers in, if Tyrese Hunter picks another school and, and they don't add a, a different um, lead guard to the roster and it's said how it is with Harris, uh, Pettiford, and Yesivu, then I think the floor there is, like I said, you're still probably gonna play it just might only be 10 15 minutes a game
0: yeah I would agree um I think uh, uh you know I, I think his the the biggest uh, one thing that could really um jump up those minutes and this is true for Pettiford and for for Joe Yesifu, if one of them can become um and I guess this is somewhat true for Dowan Harris but I'm just always already assuming Dowan Harris is going to get. 30 or more minutes at that spot. I think that that spot is his. But really if Yesufu wants to set himself apart, if he becomes a more consistent shooter and scorer, um whether that be shooting from 3 or being able to drive and finish at the rim, um like that could be the thing that really separates him and and if if you are one of those guys and you say I okay, Harris is getting the 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 bulk of the minutes at the one but we're going to play some two lead guard lineups, and sometimes Dewan's going to need a rest, and, and we'll play, you know, I'll get the backup one spot. If you want to supplant yourself at that spot, um, you would do well to spend the offseason becoming a better shooter because that could really, really set you apart.
2: Yeah, exactly, which goes back to the swing skill and, and- – uh, for for Joe yesfo especially and with Pettiford because we didn't see it so that's the realistic floor
0: and scoring in multiple ways like I said I I think you know we always um you know Sharon Frank Mason I mean all Devonte all these guys you have these images of your in your head of of multiple incredible drives to the rim um self clearly loves that and so that would be a, a, a big thing to add to the repertoire too. Or if they already have it, improve on it.
2: Yeah, and I'll say this about yesterday. I liked him coming in. I liked what he showed last year. I don't think he got as, as big of a role as uh, you know, maybe you would have liked, but it it wasn't, you know, necessarily his fault. You have two good guards with Dewan Harris and Remy Martin in front of you and the shot just wasn't falling. Um I think that you can take something from the fact that he did kind of break out his second year at Drake, especially as it went on and you heard so much over the course of the season from you know, Bill Self and stuff about how he was very much a people pleaser. If you asked him to do something, if, if you asked him to do this or that, and the, the scouting report, he was focused so much on doing that, on being a good teammate, on being someone who um, would try to do everything. It's so coachable, I guess is yeah. the way to put it. And that makes me think that, you know, maybe in year one in a new system like that, while you're playing the gears are kind of grinding they're turning in your head and you're not able to for a guy like joey Yesfu, who is again he's not an overly big guy but athletically like bounce and quickness he has all that and you're not able to to play with that as much because you're, you're overthinking the game uh, in year one that i think headed into year two like i am excited to see what he can do because i do think there is potential there for him to turn into a good player for ku
0: and and we all know i mean it, it we all know the extreme expectations that Bill Self has, and there are things that you need to learn um, that you, you know, just, and, and, and Self kind of talked about with Remy, he kind of had those moments where, you know, even during the tournament, I think Self said, you know, there where Remy, he said, Remy probably thought, man, you don't know me at all because he was trying to kind of rein him in a little bit. And Remy was such a free and loose player. Uh, but there are, things you need to learn right away. I mean, things you need to learn that you can't right away, that you just need time in the system, which goes back to why I think this this transfer rule might really turn out to be a big help for Kansas um, because as, mu- as great as Remy was come tournament time, it's going to be a bigger deal where if you have shown, okay, I've got the athleticism to be a Big 12 basketball player, but then I get you know, I don't just have to come in and I get nine months to learn it and I either get it or don't, but I actually can spend a year learning what self, how self does things, what I can expect. Um, And both Pettiford Pettiford was different because he wasn't a transfer, but, you know, Yesterfu kind of had the benefit of what some would consider a freshman year in that he could come in and, and just learn and it wasn't, okay, I'm a transfer and this is my last year in college. I have to get it. He could just learn. Um, and now he can spend an entire off season knowing exactly what what Bill Self wants and exactly how Bill Self runs things,
2: yeah, and that's good. that's that's really good. So the realistic ceiling there is that he does beat out Bobby Pettiford for that second lead guard. It's hard to see him beating out Dewan Harris, too. So I, I
0: think i as as now look, I was sure I, I really thought dewan was was going transfer last year after they brought in Remy. but I'm much I, I'm more certain about Dewan being a thirty minute a game guy. like, I'll say something, barring an injury, I, I think that that's Dwan. I think that's that job. Joe
2: Yesufu, though, if he does beat out Bobby Pedford, there's a chance you don't even have to, as far as playing time, beat out Dwan because you could just start at the two. So I think that uh, the realistic ceiling for me is that you play twenty to thirty minutes a game as either that first guard off the bench or as the starting two. Um, you and Dwan Harris make life hell for opposing guards. You're hitting shots, and if that shot making kind of swing skill works that does lead to more playing time and and he becomes that guy that that we saw at the end of the season at Drake and putting up those big numbers on USC and then the NCAA tournament and the Missouri Valley tournament and all those things it's not that unreasonable to me that he could be one of your four or five best players next year
0: I think that's yeah I think that's a fair ceiling I think his ceiling is very similar and maybe it's just because based on the position I think his ceiling is somewhat similar to Bobby Bobby Pettiford's Mm -hmm. at least for next year uh, I think long-term, well, one, Bobby Pettiford, by rule, can stay for a longer amount of time than Joe Yassifu. But I think long-term, Pettiford might have the higher ceiling, and, and we've gone on and on about how high we are in Pettiford long-term. But, yeah, I think for next next season, it's going to basically be, you know, the ceiling is going to be, can you beat out Bobby Pettiford? Um, and,
2: and you do almost get the sense that whoever loses that battle like they could be a candidate to transfer next offseason. That's
0: probably yeah, that's that's probably very true. Um But yeah, I think if, if he can if he can really stifle opponents defensively, first off, if you do that, especially and we, we you know, we've all kind of agreed between you and I and the guests that we've have, had on, we all kind of agree that as as good as this team was uh this past year offensively, we think this team coming up may take a little bit to come on offensively. But from the start, they may be pretty good defensively because athletically it's there. And um, now they've all had time to learn what Self wants them to do defensively. So if he shows an ability to to lock down as a defender, um, then I think he'll have more chances to miss shots and stay on the floor, um, which that could lead to you know gaining confidence and eventually seeing some of those shots fall. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I would say his ceiling is you know the guy immediately behind Dewan Harris, the guy who is playing a lot of minutes alongside Dewan Harris when they have a two lead guard lineup and the guy who is the single, you know, one guard when when Dewan Harris is is taking a break on the bench.
2: Maybe the, the real competition for him is whoever else can uh, play the two. Maybe it's MJ Rice. Maybe it's Grady Dick. But uh, we'll wait and see because certainly the battle between uh, Joe Yesfu and Bobby Pettiford I think is going to be one of the most interesting ones as we head into the offseason and eventually next year. He's Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock jock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. We are brought to you by home field apparel home field, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, Crew necks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear plus they re- look really cool and they just released well not just but after the national championship they released a national championship shirt use the code rock chalk sports talk that's rock chalk sports talk all one word and you'll get 15% 15% off your first order that's right code rock chalk sports talk all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order Didn't realize this, uh, Marvin Grant, the, the commit from Purdue, he played his high school football with Rich Miller, who transferred into KU last year from Buffalo and was probably their best linebacker.
0: Where? Which high school?
2: Uh, somewhere in Detroit. Ah, yes. I don't know. Uh, blah, 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 high school. Okay, uh, we are going to do our lie detector test. I was lying. Well, no, that wasn't a lie. I admitted I didn't know it. No, anyway. no, yeah,
0: you never lied there.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, Let's cue the music. Here we go. First up. This is like the, the latest thing here. Um, Nick Saban said that xa paid players to come there, and Bama did it the right way. Now, he has... I, I should clarify this. This occurred last night. Uh, he has since today. He's on Sirius XM, I think, like right now with college football, and he's like kind of walking it back. He's saying, you know, I didn't mean to single anybody out and all this stuff, but here is the uh, audio. It's a little intertwined. It was like a seven-minute answer. We've kind of Cutting and, and picked certain things. So go listen to the full answer if you want the full context. But here you
1: go. Name, image, and likeness to me is a great concept for players. Uh, players have always been allowed to work. Uh, this is just a different opportunity for them to make money by working and using their own name, image, and likeness, whether it's signing autographs, whether it's doing commercials or ads for some company or whatever. So there's nothing wrong with that. And I told our players when this whole thing started to get agents, get representation. Um, and so you create opportunities for yourself. And our players last year created $3 million worth of opportunity for themselves by doing it the right way. The issue and the problem with name, image, and likeness is coaches trying to create an advantage for themselves. I went out and said, okay, how can we use this to our advantage? And you've read about them. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. AM and was first. A&M bought every player on their team made a deal for name, image, and likeness.
2: So that is what he had to say. Um, and that, was, that wasn't that was just Nick Saban. That was kind of a floated-around rumor for a little bit on signing day. Uh, here is Jimbo Fisher, the head coach for Texas A&M. Here is his response.
3: You can call me anything you want to call me. You ain't calling me a cheat. I don't cheat and I don't lie.
2: If I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, the old man slapped you side of the head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. Okay. So, uh, there you have it. By the way, they do play this year. They're in the same division. Um I Brett McMurphy just tweeted out that he just got the projected point spread as of right now. It's Alabama minus twenty and a half.
0: <laughs> Saban, if if they get to that point, Saban's gonna Especially
2: A M beat them last year. Yeah. He's gonna run it up. Yeah. He's going he's not gonna
0: care. Um, I think they're both lying. Look, I I I, ba- I say it I say this all the time. I watched um... Yeah, that was the question there. Who is
2: the liar both
0: uh, they, look man i they're both using it to it to get an advantage i don't but i don't see what the problem there is yes of course they're using it to get an advantage for themselves and for their program that's their job and i said this um i i, I watched through my you know preteen to teenage years i watched person after person fawn over lance armstrong and just insist that all these other cheaters out in the bike bicycle racing world are just roided up, and Lance is just doing it the right way and working hard, and they worshipped him. And I sat there, and, and I, I came up with what I now call the Lance Armstrong rule, which is a very simple rule. It is, if somebody is great in a sport where there is rampant cheating, that person is also cheating. <laughs> yeah. It's just a fact, because in in le- the only exception is unless that person came from krypton and their parents sent them that here because their planet was exploding other than that they're cheating and but i, I don't i don't know look it it's I think I don't know the context with with where Saban was. That sounds to me like something where he was. It was okay. This is ironic. So, it sounds like he was in a place with a bunch of Bama fans.
2: No, this is this is very ironic. And Jimbo Fisher actually addressed this because they they had a because of all this happening. Jimbo Fisher had to have a media availability today, and that's where that comment came from. Um, he opened up by saying, ironically enough, that was at an event where. Nick Saban was talking to boosters and fans about trying to get money for the program. So,
0: to me, that feels like he was trying to put an enemy out there to Mm -hmm. try to rile up his fan base to go, these guys at A&M are doing this, we gotta beat them, come on! Who's with me? And and it but you no, know, he, and I, I should I... also clarify, there's there's a part
2: that I didn't put it in there uh, of Nick Saban's answer where he said, and you know what? One of you guys in the crowd is going to offer one of these kids all this money if they come here, and they're going to take the money, and they're going to come here, and you're going to be strutting down into the stadium, walking with a little extra swag because you're going to be saying, I got this guy here, and you're going to come to the game, and he's not going to play. And then he's going to transfer away, and you're going to be out of money. So I don't think it was necessarily him wow. like, pleading for it. I think it was just... I don't know. I think it, I think it was more so a um, a frustrated comment because I'm I'm assuming what's happening is a lot of these top recruits are saying, "Okay, I love that. I love your program. I love what you're doing. Now, what are you going to pay me?" And
0: he's like, "Why don't you come here first, and then we'll pay." You. And the, yeah, and and he hasn't had to. The thing is, is he hasn't had to deal with um much. I mean, he's been the big dog. And he really hasn't had to deal with with anybody getting that close in terms of recruiting. I mean, you know, Dabo Sweeney has beaten him. Um, uh, obviously, this past year, Georgia won the national. The, you know, Alabama got him in the SEC title, but Georgia won the national championship. Um, and, but in terms of recruiting, he really hasn't. He's just been, you know, just sitting at the end of the buffet line for so many years, just shoveling it in and. Now he's he's getting, not only is are, is, are some arrows hitting him and, and landing, they're also coming from directions they never came before. No. And so he's kind of having to respond on the fly to not just competition from people who he never got it from before, but types of competition that he never had to deal with before.
2: Yeah. I, I honestly don't really have that much that I care about in this because again, like I've always operated like I don't really care if you're paying players or whatever, like whatever. Um also I dude, just I I love that this is happening because this is just gonna create so much drama in the SEC, especially when they play.
0: Am I the only one that finds it weird um that and look, maybe I'm just a, a whiny old millennial. I'm sure I am, but I've always found something about fifty and sixty year olds. They love to brag that they got their ass kicked by their parents when they were <laughs> yeah. kids. Like, they really like to brag that their parents... My dad hit me on a switch in the back, and he took me in a tree stump, and I heard... His <laughs> I don't lie no more. Like, that's a weird thing to brag about, man. Uh, uh, next story. Matt
2: Rule said... So, uh, I guess I should add backstory to this first. There was a report that came out that Sean Payton was going to possibly take the Panthers job in 2023. And that David Tepper, the uh, Panthers owner, is trying to orchestrate that, especially if things don't work out with Matt Rule, as they have not been working so far. And he has not been set up for success to do so because their quarterback is still Sam Darnold. Matt Rule, this is what his response to those reports were. David Tepper told me there's nothing to the Sean Payton report.
0: David Tepper's a liar.
2: So David Tepper's the liar. Matt Rule is the innocent victim. But
0: how? Like, well, I mean, you can't be dumb enough to actually. But like, come him. on, yeah. Well, look, he didn't. I mean, somebody should have followed up. Do you believe him? Because all he said was, "This is what he told me." But somebody should have said, "Well, okay, do you believe that, or do you think you're a goner?" Um, look, Matt Rule knows the game. He knows you don't do well over a long period. Not a, over a long enough period of time. And that period of time is getting shorter and shorter. People are getting less and less patient. Um, he knows. You know, I think I, you know, who I think should have taken a page for Matt rules book is um, Matt Campbell because rule struck while the iron was hot. He, he did what, you know, he got Baylor to, to back to where they, where they were. And then the NFL came calling and he took it. And I wonder if the time has come and gone for Matt Campbell at Iowa State to really jump up and take a big, big, big boy job or maybe even an NFL job. Um, I think he'll keep Iowa State, you know, hanging around bowl eligibility and maybe one or, you know, a year now and then when they jump up to nine wins. Um, But yeah, I, I think Matt Rule struck while the iron was hot and he got he's now had the chance to run an NFL team and get paid NFL head coaching money. Um, and if it works, for, if, if you know if they peel off a ten and seven year, and, and they go to the playoffs, and things work out, then he'll probably get a job. And if the Panthers still fire him, he'll have a chance to go. Co- you know, yeah, he'll a lot be one of coach, a lot names of coaches, exactly. A lot, a lot of colleges are still going to want him. And if he gets the Panthers to the playoffs and still gets fired, I think another NFL team will give him a shot.
2: Yeah, they, yeah, he'll be he'll be one of the. He, he won't have much time. He's,
0: yeah, he's not going to go to the breadlines.
2: Okay, how about this one, Drew Brees. Uh, on Twitter, after saying on Twitter, I would love to play with Jarvis Landry and Tyron Matthew and all these like new guys with the Saints. He then tweeted about an hour later, despite speculation from media, which again, dude, you were the one who put that out there. So anyway, <laughs> uh, despite speculation from media about my future this fall, I'm currently undecided. I may work for NBC, I may play football again. I may focus on business and philanthropy. I may train for the pickleball tour, senior golf tour, coach my kids, or all the above. I'll let you know. Um, So, notable in this, a couple things. One, I may work for NBC. That sounds like, to me, he kind of got the out because he wasn't, like, ultra interesting on TV. Uh, But number two... Yeah, he's not a
0: super dynamic personality. No,
2: I may play football
0: again. Do you you put any
2: stock into that, or is uh, that a lie?
0: Maybe in that league where they they'll Let the fans call the plays like Terrell Owens is playing in that league. That's right. Um, no, I, I don't see him playing in the NFL. I, you know, if the USFL is still going or whatever, the USFL is the league, this yeah. this spring, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe there. Um, I have a hard time seeing look, maybe. I mean, Gronk was out, um, and but came Gronk right was back still in. when he came back, he was
2: still like 32. That's true. Yeah, no, Brees, I, I don't, I don't
0: see Breeze playing in the NFL ever, ever again. I think this whole thing is Breeze going, you know, heard the reports of Tom Brady and went, $37 million? What? Yeah. NBC, pay me more. And NBC said, why? You're not that good. You're not yeah. Tom Brady.
2: Yeah. And I think that, like, let's not forget that Drew Brees. his last year in the NFL, his last couple weeks, like, there was no arm strength there. He had yeah. no pop. Like... I- I don't know, maybe, maybe every,
0: rest, maybe he was injured. Everything that Drew Brees had, and this isn't an insult to him because it just Father Time catches up with everybody. Tom Brady seems to be proving that wrong, but I think eventually Father Time will catch up with him too. Um, but everything that, every tool that t- Drew Brees had to overcome the fact that he was 5'11", eventually those tools went away. And that's okay, he just got old. Um, but they don't come back. I mean, at least they don't come back to the level they were when you were 32 years old. And would he ever want to come back to be a backup? I don't. Why? I don't think so.
2: I think in his idea, he'd be the starter. That's but like, what I'm I don't, saying, but
0: I don't, I don't. If Drew Brees, this version of Drew Brees um, is, is what? How many teams would he improve the quarterback position of in the NFL Five. I get it. like it's, it's impossible
2: to know. Are we seeing the, the guy don't. that we saw at the end of his career? Because then it's not very many. Yeah. Uh, or are we, is was that because he was older and so he was more injured and, and more hurt and he was playing through stuff because he was older and it was easier to get injured? And I, I just don't know. Um. But, yeah, I, I, I don't buy it. Okay, uh, Rudy Gobert says he would lock Shaq up. So I, I think there's two ways of viewing this. If he's viewing uh, current Shaq, then I believe him. If he's talking about prime, vintage Shaq, then no, because nobody locked Shaq up. Shaquille so O'Neal. You're either lying or stupid at that point.
0: Shaquille O'Neal was for about, now he is not even in my, he's not even approaching my top 10 of best players of all time, but for, because the longevity or lack thereof, but for about a four year span, Shaquille O'Neal was as, as unstoppable as any player has ever been in the history of the game of basketball. Nobody could do anything about him. He was the epitome of too fast for guys his size to guard and too big for dudes his speed to guard. Um, nobody could touch him, and I don't know. Rudy Gobert is not a person who would <laughs> would break that cycle. Yeah, like maybe, I said, maybe it's either like, a
2: lie or it's overconfident. No
0: offense to our guy Scott Chasen. Maybe Phoenix Sun Shack, Maybe TNT. <laughs> yeah, hey, he could stop him. Maybe TNT Shack, mm-hmm. but not Orlando <laughs> Lakers Heat Shack.
2: Yeah. Uh, How about um, Doc Rivers? Doc Rivers loses in the second round of the playoffs. Here is what he had to say in the postgame.
1: Have you thought about job security? I don't worry about my job, Howard. I think I do a a terrific job, and if you don't, then you should write it, because I worked my butt off to get this team here. When I first got here, no one picked us to be anywhere. Uh, And again this year, the same thing. So If that's how anyone feels, write it, and I'm going to feel secure about it.
2: All right, so he said, when I first got here, no one picked us to be anywhere. And again, this year, the same. Let me just reiterate. Three years prior to Doc Rivers, this is what the Sixers did. Three seed, three seed, six seed. They had two second-round appearances. The two years of Doc Rivers, one seed, four seed, with two second-round appearances. What?
0: Yeah, Doc Rivers is a terrific coach, but he's talking about himself like he's Greg Popovich.
2: Yeah. And he isn't. Dude, the Sixers were third in the preseason odds among Eastern yeah. Conference teams. So like he's clearly lying.
0: Yeah, I yeah, I, I agree. Um and look I think This coach is the biggest is, open shot case. I think I, I think he's lying and he's clear he clearly is um he's he's you know, avoiding how can I put this? Um, he's avoiding it, or, or he's masking his insecurity by saying how insecure, how, how he's not insecure. Um, yeah, clearly he's worried about it. And, and that's part of the You know, maybe he should be. But that's part of the job. Um, but I don't see how it's out of line. He, he, he pretended like that question was out of line and it's not out of line at all. All right. Last one is Duke
2: University or is the University of Duke? I don't know. Uh, Joey Baker has entered the transfer portal, which is funny on its own because he didn't get to celebrate senior night because of the fact that Coach K had his big, uh, you know, suck fest. And um, Good Lord. Uh Anyway, I don't know if I could have said that. Anyway, uh, and Joey Baker didn't get senior day along with others, but Coach K was like, oh, it's fine. He'll be back next year. He is not. But here's the reason Duke is on this. Coach K, it has been an absolute pleasure having Joey in our program. He's been a joy to coach and a great leader. I'm thrilled. He'll be earning a degree from one of the great institutions in the world, and I wish him all the best. That was the quote put on the Duke Twitter page, the Duke men's basketball Twitter page, about Joey Baker entering the transfer portal. Is Coach K still the
0: coach? (laughs) Would that surprise you? No, he
2: still has his office. Yeah, look, I I,
0: I do not envy John Shire one bit um, because, look, it's difficult enough. Like Bill Self talked about how it was a, in his introductory press conference. He said Roy Williams is a tough act to follow, but I tell you what, it's a lot easier act to follow when the dude's office is fifteen hundred miles away from your office. Yeah, no,
2: not right, right down the hall. Right, yeah, right down the hall. Uh, so is Duke lying about Coach K not really being the coach? I think in a certain way, yes. I don't think he's going to be the guy on the sideline drawing up plays, but like I still think he's going to try to be like the CEO.
0: I would agree. Yeah. And and they're going to have to force... They're either going to just let him do it or they're going to have to force him to not.
2: Which that would be a very uncomfortable situation.
0: He's Adam Dravetta.
2: I'm Derek Johnson. That is our lie detector test. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, Porter Grieve of Mercury joins us to talk Jayhawk NFTs. That on the other side. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN and KLWN.com and the KLWN app. Join now... By Porter Grieve, who is the CEO of Mercury, which is the parent company, kind of sets up and and runs things for rockchalk.io, which is where you can go get your Jayhawk NFT collection rolling and join in on that community. I just pulled a pack uh, today for their latest moments collection from this national championship season, and I'm going to be pulling another one coming up on air in about 40 minutes uh from right now but we bring porter onto the show so porter I, i'm curious and, and maybe this is i don't know like like picking favorite children or something but is this uh the moments collection out right now with ku has this been the favorite thing that uh you've seen dropped so far from rockchalk.io with, with the jayhawk nft experience
3: yeah I, absolutely um i mean across what we've done sort of with with ku and and with kentucky also over at blue chips um This has definitely been our favorite collection so far. Um, You know, we were planning an end-of-season moments collection regardless, um, but the fact that it ended up being a national championship season moments collection made it all all the better, and we got to take um, some more liberties and and do some more cool stuff that, you know, initially we weren't going to be able to, but then they obviously went on that incredible, incredible run. (laughs) Um, so yeah, in terms of the effort, the time, um, both on the sort of imagination side and the art side that really went into this, um, there's just certain pieces in this collection that I'm just like, I, I, I look at, I watch over and over and over. Um, so seeing them, you know, come off the board and and people see them for the first time as they open packs today has been really cool.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think already 100 have have gone by. There's still some more up there, and people can check it out. We'll get into kind of that process in a second. But uh, for the ones I pulled, I I pulled Big 12 Championship game with Texas Tech as, as one of the moments I pulled. Um, just load the wagon. I was thinking the mule yeah. side of it. I forgot the wagon part. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I pulled that one, which I love that one. Cause that's going to be like the, the thing that stays with this team. Um, I'm going to pull another pack, as I said, later on in the show, what are some of the other moments that really stick out to you that, that you really like out of this, uh, moments collection?
3: Yeah. So I think my, my two favorites, um, are the, the ocean I around the world. Um, it's sort of an, an easy one to go for. Um, but just the, the sort of motion in the image combined with the sort of Hall of Hall of Champions, Hall of Legends um, sort of area and environment that we've built is just really cool. And it's the type of thing where, you know, you can play it once, but then zooming in on each different corner, you're going to notice like little details um, each time you look at it. And and that that's just been so cool for me to notice things even, you know, weeks after I saw the first version. Um, but my favorite is, is probably there's, there's a scoreboard one from the national championship that... It's a sort of digital representation in in the sort of classic, you know, moments collection glass box that we have. Um, And it's the the scoreboard from the national championship with it, you know, ticking up from, um, from the, you know, the zero 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 at the beginning of the game to to halftime with the deficit uh, and then the comeback. And it's got, you know, the actual times that the points went on the board and the possession arrow switching and the the detail is just unbelievable. Um, And it took our design team's, so so long and I think they were initially like pretty annoyed about <laughs> how detailed it was, but that's how they are. I mean you give them a high level ideal and they're like, well, we're gonna go 20 times deeper than that. Um and make this thing like way more interactive. So um that one, you know, whoever pulls that is 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 lucky. I mean that that one's that one's awesome and, and definitely by far my favorite.
2: Yeah, and I, I know I've I've made the comparison before that, you know, it's it's almost similar to the NFT game for people who are unfamiliar with it with you know you, you buy and trade baseball cards or football cards or whatever but that's that's the one thing you're getting in this that you can't with those you get the moving image you get that that kind of graphic that's being created and and like you said it's, it's really cool to look at um i'm curious uh, as this this collection or the the moments collection pack like what is it if somebody pulls one or, or goes by and buys one right now um what is it the card that they should be looking for if they're trying to find the most rare uh the most rare moment as far to this pack
3: Yeah. So the most rare, um, so there's, there's one moment uh, and we obviously took liberty with the sort of the word moment. We wanted to, to do a collection that had a ton of variety. I think um, one thing that's common in the NFT space a little bit is, you know, you, you meant something that's exciting, but to an extent, you, you kind of know what you're going to get, get within, within reason, within a certain spectrum. Um, I think this drop is just you really don't know what you're going to get. You could get something that is a the sort of physical stat card from the K-State game. You could get the scoreboard. You could get uh, sort of one of these moving images in the Hall of Legends. So the, the variety is really cool. In terms of the, um, the most rare, there is, so there's a golden net moment. And then there's a, one of them is actually a diamond net um and that that's the most rare and i actually think i gotta check but i think someone pulled that like 25 minutes ago um haven't seen them share it yet so i don't know who it was but i i, I think someone um may have already pulled that out of a pack but, but that's definitely the the most rare out of this collection
2: i know one thing that you've talked about and with us on the pat in the past is is the community aspect of this as well you know having yeah. players on to do q and a's which uh, i know you had david mccormick and mitch Lightfoot and stuff or, or having another KU community area just in whether it's the discord to talk to other fans and, and kind of engage with each other. Uh, what are some of the other things you guys, uh, have done from the community aspect or, or maybe things that you have planned upcoming from here on?
3: Yeah, definitely. So the community is at the end of the day, the, the most important thing here. Um, and that is what we're focused on. You know, we want to build a project around community and, and build this community up over time. Um, not, you know, at, at Kansas and then at the other schools that, you know, some of which we can we can mention hopefully very, very soon here, because we are trying to, to build out this sort of ecosystem of all these these different schools and find ways for them to compete, um, you know, both on the, the NFT side and the athletic side and um, gamify some of that, too. So there's a lot of exciting things on, on the roadmap in terms of the the athletic side of things, because that's obviously generally what, what brings people here um, uh, for the for the most part we want to get to a point where it's a, a weekly thing. You know, it's, it's not just, Hey, every couple of weeks we'll have uh, Twitter spaces with one of the athletes uh, or, or a discord chat. We want this to be um, you know, come the fall when we have our sort of um, official launch across the board, uh, not just sort of squeezing these launches in at the end of the season um, the way we, we were able to do luckily with, with and Kentucky. Um, we want this to be every week, you know, you have a, a new athlete on Twitter spaces or, or getting interviewed in the discord Um, and and creating more of that, you know, direct line of communication between the athlete and the fans. Um, I mean, the, the, the last two Twitter spaces were just awesome The the David McCormick one, just to hear how honest he was and, um, and how upfront with, with just sort of his journey so far, his journey at Kansas, his experience. I mean, we had, his cousin was jumping in and asking questions. It was a really, (laughs) really cool moment. Um, Ocha, actually jumped into the Twitter spaces. Uh, we tried to get him to ask a question, but he, he refused. Um, <laughs> but we want that to become a, a, a much more regular thing because at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. You know, we want people to congregate, you know, in our discords around the the thing that they love, which is, you know, in, in this case, Kansas and, and Kansas basketball and, and Kansas athletics. Um, but then really bring them closer to those athletes. So bring them closer to each other and, and closer to those teams.
2: One of my favorite things, uh, with the whole NFT game is is the marketplace area because I, I did grow up collecting, you know, sports memorabilia and stuff. And it reminds me very much of that where you can um, have your own collection. You can hold on to some stuff or, or sell something else to invest elsewhere, whether it's, you know, pulling another drop or, or buying something yourself off the marketplace. And then you have that ability to pull that, you know, $30 pack or, or drop and turn it into something worth hundreds of dollars. I, I just think that's really cool. And I just love what you guys have done there. Uh, and, and I feel like, I will say I don't really have a question here. It's more of just a, a comment. Like I, I think that your the site, the beauty of it is it's so easy to manage, and, and I think it's so, I guess, easy for if somebody who doesn't really know a ton about this to just kind of sign up. It's it's very self intuitive to being able to figure out and kind of navigate through and and work through everything.
3: Definitely, and and that's we want to make this as simple as possible for people to understand. Um, and I think, you know, going right to the marketplace area of the site, you can start to get a sense for, okay, now I, I get, you know, this is, a, this is just digital collecting. I can, I can see the different values, the different prices here. Um, that said, we got a lot of updates that we're pushing out soon um, for, for Rock Chalk on the, on the sort of site side of things because we want the platform uh, and the site to constantly be evolving the same way the art and the NFTs and, and the drops do and, and find different features that we can constantly add um, which I can get into, you know, hopefully, hopefully soon. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you're completely right. I mean, we, we just saw, you know, one person bought, uh, the one shining or pulled the one shining moment, um, uh, moment a, out of the, the, the drop just now. And they resold it on the marketplace almost immediately for, for $250. Um, because the cool thing is because this, this drop is there's so many different pieces, you know, people are going to want one of everything, or, or they're going to have different moments throughout the season where, you know, this, this moment that I have in my head, that was my favorite piece of the season. And I, that's the one I'm really after, you know, the ones I pulled, maybe that's not what I want. Maybe I'll list them and sell them on the marketplace. So I can, can really go after that. um, The one that I do want. Um, So yeah, definitely. I mean, right now to your point, we want to make this as simple as possible and we're actively looking for ways to, 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 to make it simpler for everyone.
2: We're talking with Porter Grieve here on rock chalk sports talk. Um, So I guess, uh, are these just going to continue to be available for these moments, access passes or, or the the passes which you have to get to the uh, to the pack? Are these just going to continue to be available until they they all go? Is there is there a time limit to it? And, and how can people uh, get on and, and get one themselves?
3: No, the, there's no time limit. I mean, um, there's a, a limited quantity, of course, uh, but because these ones are so high end, um And so much effort and and work put into them, you know, this, these are just going to be out there until, you know, they they sell out and and the community and people buy all of them. Um, If you want to buy one, this drop is a little unique where um, you have to access a special page, not the drops page, you have to go to the curated collections page on on rockchalk.io. And in order to access that you have to buy a a moments pass um, that was previously available in a drop um, right after they won the national title uh, for about two weeks, but now you can still buy some, um, on the, the secondary marketplace. Uh, and then once you buy that, your wallet on the platform will unlock the curated collections area where you can, act, uh, you know, participate in, and, and purchase one of the the moments collections drops.
2: Um, do you have any other upcoming drop I don't, I don't know if it's, it's stuff you can share with us anyway, but uh, just curious, are there any other upcoming drops or, or events that you guys have going on, uh, coming up after this one? I know <laughs> all the focus has been on this, but I, I don't know if, uh, how much, uh, plan in the works has, uh, been shareable.
3: Yeah, definitely. So we can, what I can say is coming up, um, there's going to be new feature improvements, new platform improvements. We'll have more drops over the next few months. Um, but obviously focused on on this one right now, um, and then really just focused on growing the community, getting more people in, getting the the KU students and alumni, and and just the the average fan in the community to really grow the audience and, and really grow this project. Um, and then very soon we should have some announcements around plans for the fall, and then at a higher level, sort of more plans for Mercury in terms of okay, after Kentucky, after Kansas, who's next? What are the schools that that we're working on now? Um, and making some announcements around what we're building and, and what the sort of larger vision and, and the larger ecosystem is going to look like. Uh, because, you know, for KU, it's it's all about Rock Chalk. But um, as we grow out the sort of larger group and, and ecosystem, there's going to be some really cool opportunities available to everybody.
2: He is Porter Greve, the CEO of Mercury, parent company for Rock Chalk.io. Get your Jayhawk NFT collection rolling with RockChuck.io. Before we let you go, though, my producer and co-host Adam Dravetta. We do a thing with our guests called "One Last Thing" with
0: Adam. All right, Porter. One last thing. What can you tell me about a fellow named George William Crump?
3: George William Crump. He's like, googling. I hear him like- typing. Hey, I'm on a computer. What
0: are you want me to <laughs> do? Uh, George William Crump uh, is a is a this fel-
3: is, look. at this is trivia, I'm just gonna say I don't I don't know anything about George William Crump.
0: He's so he's a- he's a, a fellow alumnus of Washington and Lee University. No, oh my goodness. Uh, he is notable because he is uh, he was uh, arrested in the first known case of streaking in the history of the United <laughs> States. That is amazing.
3: See, there's a lot of good stuff to come out of Washington and Lee.
0: <laughs> yeah. Apparently well, cool,
3: but we got, we got some really,
0: he was, he was really important. Allies. He went on to become a congressman too. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, he, he didn't let,
3: he didn't let that hold him back.
0: No, not at all. Or maybe it <laughs> propelled him forward. Who knows?
3: But yeah, yeah exactly. he was there. Uh,
0: evidently he was there back when it was just called Washington university and, uh, took a, took a little nude run right there through the streets of Lexington.
3: Oh, uh, there <laughs> and we go. It, it launched his political career. I gotta, maybe I'll consider that. I don't know.
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe who knows? That that might be a little too inappropriate to have. On there that is a few, no days. such thing yeah. as bad publicity. <laughs> yeah, that's Porter. right. That's right. Well, exactly. Porter.
3: All press is good press sometimes.
2: <laughs> well, Porter, we appreciate you coming on the show, man, and, and sharing more information on all this stuff. And and like we said, really cool things going on with rockchalk.io. That is Porter Grieve, the CEO of Mercury. Thanks for the time, man.
3: Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it as always.
2: Yep. That's Porter Grieve. This is Rockchalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We, uh, are going to be starting doing a segment. It's going to be a KU mailbag, pretty straightforward, pretty simple. So, uh, you can on my Twitter account at D Johnson radio, or hit us up at RCST 1320.
0: Not only are the Royals getting crushed right now, there's also a grown man in a cowboy hat at the game. And those always weird me out.
2: Okay. Um, so anyway, you can, uh, do that with the KU mailbag at RCST 1320 or at D Johnson radio. And, uh. You know, ask away with any questions. We have some questions up here, though. Yeah, we do. We're going to be doing that weekly. All right, the first one comes from Chris. What do you think – this is the the only KU football one. The rest are KU basketball. What do you think offensive coordinator Andy Kotelnicki will do this fall to get Neil, Thomas, Morrison, and Shaw the four running backs, touches and keep everyone happy? Two back sets with Morrison in the
0: slot, question mark. Opium to keep them all happy. (laughs) No. Nope. You don't think so? No. No, probably not. not. Um, honestly, I think the more important thing is them doing well than them being ha- Look, if they, if they run and I, I, I'm not, I, I like Chris's question because he's pointing out something true, which is there's a heap of depth in that running back room. Um, but I mean, if, if KU does well in the running back room in in the, you know, they're getting good production from their running backs, are we really going to care if the one's not playing or happy? Cause I'm not. No,
2: no, but I, I think the the point of this, too, is, like, is there a way to make everyone happy while doing it? Because you're right. I mean,
0: the, the I'm biggest... not sure there is with four.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Because, I mean, you are right. Like, it, you're not focused on that. They're not going to be like, it's the middle of the game and this guy's playing better than another guy and go, oh, but do they have the equal amount yeah, of Yeah, and, right? and
0: we're not going to be sitting here. If there's a guy having a great year or two guys having a great year, no one's going to be clamoring for one of the other guys to start playing more. Just going, yeah, but you know he might get he might transfer, he might get frustrated, right. um, and that's the thing. If yeah,
2: if if Devon Neal and Kai Thomas or whatever the two are the best players or something, then and they're like that good, and one of these other guys isn't playing and he ends up transferring, it, it, you're not gonna feel like it's some huge loss necessarily. And I yeah. don't say that to, but I I will say this: the the two back sets. I do think um, I don't know how many two back sets we're gonna see with both of them if it's not like the shotgun two-back sets where you have both of them. I don't know, because one of them is not going to, I don't think, play fullback. But I do think Savion Morrison, for that one specifically, Savion Morrison is a guy that I think they are going to play in the slot a lot. Uh, Talked to him earlier this offseason. He said he tries to compare his game to DeAnthony Thomas, okay, and that was a guy who was kind of a, you know, maybe a few snaps as running back, a few snaps as a slot receiver, gets like jet sweeps, uh, little screen passes, uh, can return kicks, can return punts, things like that, like an all-purpose player. That is how I view Savion Morrison, so I think there's ways that you can work him in creatively with the other guys. As far as Daniel Highshaw, I view his role as being like the power back, the short yardage back. It's third and one. It's first down and goal. Let's get him carries there. And then I think Devin Neal and Kai Thomas are the guys that you use. They just kind of rotate. Like maybe one ends up being a lot better than the other or plays a lot more than the other. But I kind of view both those guys as being your like number one and number two. And we know this is going to be an offense that is going to pride itself on running the football, using that wide zone scheme. That is going to be the main priority of the offense, running the football. So there are going to be a lot of carries to go around. Now, is it like... Because this is part of the importance um, of—I asked Kai Thomas when we got a media availability several weeks ago, like, what was part of the reason you came here? And and I was curious what he said, because if he said, I was hoping for a bigger role—I mean, he already had a pretty big role on Minnesota. It wasn't like a 300-carry season. He wasn't getting all of the carries, but it was, you know, like 200 carries, something like that, like, just shy of 1,000 yards— to where I was thinking, well, I don't know if you can expect much more than that. But he said it was it was about coming closer to home, being closer to my family. So that gave me hope that you can make this work between those guys. Um, and I also think that's a position too. There's going to be injuries over the course of the season that I think it'll work itself out, and everyone will get touches at different points.
0: That was the point that I that that you that I was yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth. Nobody wants to discuss injuries. Um, and I, I say, you know, I, I've, I've said for a while that that a, an extremely important position to have depth is the offensive line because you can pretty much bank on injuries. Somebody is going to get injured on the offensive line. It's, it's an unavoidable fact of the game of football. Um, I think that's also safe to say with, um, with running backs, whether it just be wear and tear, a buildup of a bunch of hits, not necessarily one big hit that knocks him you know, that, that hurts them, but, you know, a, a breakdown over the course of a long season of getting hit after hit after hit. Um, but on the other side of that, a deep running back room can prevent that exact same thing from happening to where it can just be, all right, um, we need to give this guy maybe a game off because he's getting a little worn down. Whereas if you don't have as deep of a running back room, it's more like, no, I'm sorry, you're getting worn down, you need to play. And that game where they play a worn down running back is the one that puts them over the top and turns what could have been just one game off into a four-week injury. And that could really prevent that, which which would be a really big deal. It's, we'll never know if, if the depth of this running back, allows, running back room allows them to avoid any serious multiple-week injuries We'll never know that um, because there's no you. You never you're never going to know what doesn't happen, um, but that's a, an important reason, um, not just in terms of, of keeping them happy, but to to rotate. And if you turn out to have and look, if, if Nicky's a smart guy, if he has four running backs that are good enough to produce at a high level, um, at, in Big Twelve football, he's going to find a place for him. Twenty nineteen
2: Buffalo, they were a more successful offense, so you have to be able to move the ball and get first downs to get more carries. But on its own, their lead running back averaged twenty four carries a game, their backup average seventeen. So you look at about forty. Let's say you have less first downs, less success. Let's say it's thirty five to Divvy out between those top two guys, and then maybe, you know, I don't know, three, four, five between the other guys. Um that probably means I I think you're looking at, you know, you could say uh fifteen to Devin Neal. 12 to Kai Thomas, 5 to Daniel Highshaw, 3 to Savion Morrison, and Savion Morrison also gets those other all-purpose opportunities. I don't know if that'd keep everybody happy, but well, that's a way to get them all on the field.
0: I mean, Savion Morrison, there's place for, I mean, when you are, uh, the the, I mean, Bill Snyder made his career, I mean, he was great in other elements too, but he made his career out of making sure he always had a spot on special teams. Um and so, if you can, if you can get a guy who, yeah, maybe he's not getting out in the backfield in the offensive backfield more than a few times a game, but he busts two or three, you know, punt or kick returns for a touchdown, um, and then you know, busts a few more for 40 yards to set up the offense in great field position, he'll be plenty happy because he's touch- he's not touching the ball from the offensive backfield, but he's still touching the ball. And if he shows productivity out of it, that's only going to open up more opportunities for him. Yeah. Okay. Question
2: number two comes from Garrett. This is actually Garrett from RCST Trivia. Uh, he would like us to make a, a top 10 list of players in the Bill Self era. Now, I should – I, I did a little research on this. I didn't do a ton. Um, realistically, if I was releasing my official top 10, would, I'd want to do more digging on what awards did you win and those things like they matter. Um, so I just, I did this a little off the cuff, a little bit of research here. And I also went with, there's two ways you can do this. You can do this based on the career you can do this on the best individual season. You could do this on the peak of their power. You could do this on the basketball player. You know, like if I'm taking the best 10 players in Bill Self history, Joel Embiid is up there. But if we're talking about career, if we're talking about what they did at Kansas, time, he's, yeah, he's yeah, not even close, right? So I decided to do it for this one specifically on the top 10 individual seasons of the Bill Self era. So let me run through this real quick and you can tell me what you think is is off and and what you think is, you know, correct or whatever. Um, First of all, I wanted to mention some honorable mentions. I couldn't get them on the list, but I think deserve to be mentioned. 2007-2008, Darrell Arthur uh, and 2007-2008, Mario Chalmers. It's tough for both those guys. They didn't have the individual awards. They also didn't play four years. It was three years going pro. You didn't have the individual stats that jump off the page of 17 and 10 or anything, but also it's, it, it's just tough because the team was so loaded. If they were on a different team, maybe they would have had that stuff. So I put him in honorable mention, and, and that may seem sacrilegious, not having Mario Chalmers in the top ten. Uh, Christian
0: Brown this past season. I think uh, w- real quick about Darrell Arthur, and and I'm not the first one to come up with this take. I think a lot of people agree. Um, if KU wins that game over Memphis in a more traditional way than, than needing the last-second shot and they just win, you know, in a less, you know, they don't need such a dramatic shot. Darrell Arthur's the MOP of the Final Four. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, 2008-2009, Cole Aldridge had a phenomenal year. He uh, put up like 15 and and 11 a game, almost three blocks per game, shot like 60% from the field, almost 80% at the foul line. Statistically, that was actually his better year than the following season. But again, that's partially because they had more players uh, to kind of feed it around that season for those
0: for those of you who want a, a, a perfect just an epitome of 0809 sharon if you can find it out there google ku's game in norman that year against oklahoma and there was this this duel between sharon and willie warren where they just kept heat check. we'll get to sharon we'll here in a second i um, thought you just said sharon did i say sharon cole Aldrich? oh i'm sorry yeah. i i heard 0809 i'm an idiot i'm sorry uh
2: two, 2012 2013 jeff withy um that's obviously explanatory. I think 2013-14, Andrew Wiggins, and 2016-17, Josh Jackson, at least honorable mention for the individual seasons they had. It's fair. I couldn't get him in the top 10, though. And then you have 2009-2010, Cole Aldridge, which wasn't as statistically good um, as the, the previous season, but still had a great season. I, I don't even have the 29-10, Sharon Collins in the top 10, which just speaks to the depth of of this, but it's also because I kind of wanted to get some more guys on there, but he definitely could have got on there as well.
0: That was again. Yeah, that was more about he and Cole both. It was really about the depth mm-hmm. of that team.
2: Um, but I do have a Sharon Collins on there. It's just, I don't have the nine, one, 2021, 22, David McCormick. Again, the stats don't jump off the page. Doesn't have the individual awards, but we know what happened. 2015, 16, Perry Ellis. He was unanimous. Second team, all American. Um, he would have been big 12 player of the year, if not for a guy named buddy Hield. So had a really good season, but uh, here's what I have for the top ten. Number 10. Diedrich Lawson, 2018-19, averaged 19.5 points per game, over 10 rebounds per game. The team didn't end up very good, but it wasn't his fault. Um, and if you want to say, okay, well, they didn't go far in the tournament, it wasn't his fault. He averaged 25-10 and 10 in the two tournament games. That's, yeah, he was good. It, it, he's, he's kind of an easily forgotten player because he, he was like You could argue to me he should be higher on the list if this is just individual production yeah. and performance. You could also argue that one of the— like. Going back, you could tell me that Darrell Arthur deserves to be above the uh, above him for me because it's more than the stats, but it's yeah. hard to get around those stats. He,
0: he was yeah, I mean he he kind of that he was such a necessity on that team. He was the he, he was the guy um that really guy teams were planning around him and he still performed. And that's always the mark of a really good player in my mind. He's you know, he was a, he's not a traditional one and done because he wasn't a freshman, but he's a one and done on a team that didn't go far in the tournament. But yeah, D, and he's not one many people are gonna talk about, but he was pretty that if you're if we're just going one season, mm-hmm. that was a really good season.
2: Yeah, and I kind of went off of like it's a mix of accomplishment and who's the better player. I think Darrell Arthur is a better player than Diedrich
0: Lawson. I, yeah, I don't think that's close.
2: But like what you accomplished individually it, it was just more for Diedrich. He was a team All American. There's no reason right. to think
0: Darrell again, we but we can't we can't you know, Doctor Strange it and see every That's scenario. That's hard. If but you switch those, two I, I players... would believe that in the, in similar situation, Darrell Arthur would have been really good if he if he had if he was on a team where he was the guy that you had to count on. Yes,
2: exactly. So I have him number ten. Number nine, I have 2019-20 Devon Dotson. Uh, that pretty self explanatory. I don't know. Again, like you could argue Mario Chalmers above Devon Dotson, um, but Devon was a second-team All-American. Mario Chalmers was not on any of the All-American teams. So, again, how much is the depth? How much that is hitting hurt. the game-winning shot The depth, uh, like affect things?
0: There were so many guys. Like, I think Darrell Arthur was a legit All-American talent. Uh, Brandon Rush was a legit All-American talent. Mario Chalmers was a legit All-American t- talent. Um, and none of them were because of just the freakish depth on that basketball. There's a reason that that team is viewed by a lot of people as one of the five best national champions ever.
2: Yeah, so I, I don't know. That that one might be arguable as well. Uh, I feel like I kept wanting to get this next guy higher too, but again, th- this is just a, a depth. 2010-2011 Marcus Morris averaged 17-6, and six, shot 57% from the field. He could hit from three. He was Big 12 Player of the Year, second-team All-American. I, I think it's deserving he's above those other two guys. Like in the case of Diedrich, had better just – Stats when you look at points and rebounds per game, but Marcus led to more winning. He was a more versatile player.
0: And the clear leader mm-hmm. vocally and from a from a play standpoint of that 10-11 squad. Seven, I have Devontae Graham, twenty seventeen-eighteen
2: season. He was a first team All-American. He was Big 12 player of the year, 17.3 points per game, seven point two assists. I, I had a tough time deciding between Devontae and Marcus. I ended up going Devontae because he was first-team All-American to the second team. Both were Big 12 Player of the Year, and Devontae went to the Final Four. Marcus Morris was Elite Eight.
0: eight. And, well, I'd also add that game-winner, a, a lot of it was luck because he got a good bounce, but that game-winner against Tech, or game-sealer, yeah. I guess, in Lubbock against Tech, was that's a shot that will live on.
2: Okay, number six, and this was another tough one because it doesn't have the team success, Wayne Simeon. The dude was was
0: oh five one yeah 0-4-5,
2: 0-4-5, yeah uh, twenty point three points per game eleven rebounds per game he was efficient from the field he was unstoppable for Bill Self but that team lost in the first round and 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 also it wasn't like an ultra loaded Bill Self team so I don't know how to take that one properly uh, like you could make the argument to me should Marcus Morris be ahead of Wayne Simeon because he was on a
0: more loaded team no I well. I mean that that team had. I mean you had Aaron Miles, Keith Langford, and then you had yeah, a, a fresh, true. you had a freshman class that as seniors won the national championship. Okay, so that's that's the plus. You had um, Micah Downs, who eventually transferred, and a guy named Galindo, who who could shoot a little bit. He wasn't great, but he could shoot a little bit. Would you shuffle anything that we've done
2: so far that I, that I've
0: said? Jared so Giddens far? was on that team too. Um, I'm not as certain on Diedrich Lawson as you. Mm-hmm. I actually, but I'm you've made me think about that mm-hmm. um but so far no
2: if you were taking Diedrich off who would you put on for him
0: um that's a tough because I see the rest of the guys that are on there um maybe 910 Chiron mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, because that was a you know that team won thirty three games. There was you know you could argue he impacted winning more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I yeah none of these are out of line by any means. Okay, but let's Simeon, get to the top dude, five. Twenty and ten. Yeah, not so, twenty and eleven. That's that's freak show. Stuff. It
2: is. It is. Okay, into the top five. I'm gonna feel silly about putting this guy only fifth. It's the oh eight oh nine Sharon Collins season because I think there is an argument to be made. Again, this is the difference with the lists. If we did a list of the best players over the like. The best careers for Bill Self players he at might KU. Be one. He, I, I think I would have him one because I mean you're talking about a four-year player. He won a title and was like a significant impact on yeah. winning the title. So it wasn't just like, you know, he just happened Ty- to be on Tyrell the team. Tyrell Reed. Yeah, exactly. He, he, you know, he made the pass to Mario Chalmers, right? Um, and then he was also All-American two years. He was, but the thing is that makes it more difficult if you're doing individual season. He didn't have the first team all-american season. He didn't have the yeah. the national player of the year season.
0: But again, that goes back to that depth of the 2010 yeah. team that he was on. Um yeah, that 0809, you know, that team started off, they were ranked 23rd, but they quickly fell out of the rankings cuz they lost to Syracuse in the sprint center, then they lost to um UMass in the sprint center. You know, they really they were unranked for a while and then came on and, and looked just fantastic down the stretch and a lot of that was Sharon Collins and, and I, I brought that um that oh, talking about oh eight oh nine um Cole made me think of this game, but it was a Sharon Collins moment that I was talking about in that he had this back and forth with Willie Warren. I mean he he kind of became this is gonna sound silly, but he became an adult that year. Sharon <laughs> became an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 08-09 season.
2: And the reason I chose that one over nine ten is the stats just look better. Like if you look at effective field goal percentage it's, it's one like hundredth or thousandth of a point better. So it's about the same. Um, but the assist rate is better. The rebound rate is better. The pure stats 19 points per game compared to 15 and a half. Five assists compared to four and a half. Um, 1.1 steals was the same. The rebounds was a little bit more. Shot better from two-point range, shot better from three-point range. The only thing he shot better at the next year was from the free-throw line. And again, the, that next year he did have more to contend with, so that would lead to the stats being down. But I think the 8 09, to me is the one that, that sticks out the most. So I have it number five, but again, if you go by career, I think I'd have him number one. Uh, number four on the list, I have 2011-12 Thomas Robinson. Again, I felt silly only putting this one at four. I mean, um, that's
0: another guy who... You went to
2: the title game. Yeah. and, and You're a he, National Player of the Year candidate. He,
0: he averaged a double-double. He didn't average the 20 points that Wayne Simeon did. He averaged nearly 18. Um, but, I mean, he, he was... You helped carry a team to the title game, it, right? Truly. First There's team no other way to put it.
2: Yeah. So I think that's self-explanatory. This is a debate. You might disagree on this one, and I'm, I'm curious what you think on this one. I, I struggled with where to put Yudoka as um, I have him at number three. Nineteen twenty? Yeah, nineteen twenty. Because you could argue statistically, it, it's like good stats. Thirteen point seven points per game, ten and a half rebounds per game. You could argue that should be, you know, where I don't know, like should that be below Marcus Morris at number eight. I or mean, something? Cole was fifteen and eleven. Yeah. But here's why I had it different. Um with Udoka. He was he won one of the National Player Defensive Player of the Year Awards. Mm-hmm. I think Cole probably would have. I don't know. He averaged like three blocks per game. Um, but here's what Udoka did from March through or from February through March. 15 and a half points per game, twelve and a half rebounds per game, two and a half blocks per game. And this is the thing. You're talking about he was the best defensive player in the country. He was like as great as Cole Aldridge and Jeff Withey were at blocking shots, Doke wasn't that, but Doke was better at defending guards. Like if he gets switched onto him or defending wings, if he happened to get switched onto, yeah, to him.
0: he wasn't just. It wasn't just an immediate win for the for the for the guard.
2: Exactly. So like that added so much value. If that team would have had a tournament, that could have gone to the final four, won a title, that would have boosted his odds. And he was also the most efficient player in Kansas basketball history. Seventy percent
0: shooting, and and I mean the shooting is, and a lot of people will say, well, yeah, but look how close to he was to the rim. But yeah, he had to work to get himself there. Right. It's not like he just grew out of the floor at that spot teams were trying to prevent him from getting that close and he still was able to he was a consensus
2: all-american first team or second team depending where you look if if that would have had like if if they voted on national player of the year after the ncaa tournament and he would have gone on a run i think he could have won that because he was he was really hitting a hot streak as well and and here's why i i put him above t rob because you would say that you know i you could make a real argument that should be higher I just viewed it as, well, okay, Udoka was a much better defender than T-Rob. He was much more impactful to the defense than T-Rob. The rebounding was close enough, one and a half away. T-Rob averaged more points, but he was barely over 50%. Doka was at 70%. It was yeah. just a more efficient option. I
0: agree. Um, I, that's No, that's not outlandish at all. I, I, I think Udoka, I think that team was, um, I, I think that was not, not, Terribly, but I think there was a down year in college basketball in mm-hmm. 2020. I think mean, KU was clearly the best team that year, at least by the time the season ended. Uh, but I also think that was a, a de- somewhat down year in the sport of college basketball. Um, so maybe that, maybe you could say, well, Robinson, you know, he played in a year that featured Anthony Davis and and um, Fab Mello. He didn't ever have to play against Fab Mello, but Solinger, sure, yeah. guys like that. So maybe that's the argument with with Robinson. Um, But Doak was – that's 70% is – I mean, that's that's really good. Yeah, it is. On a team when you're the guy, a lot of – people are really doing everything they can to stop you.
2: I had him three. If you want, you could, like I said, argue him down to, like, Marcus Morris because he was more versatile offensively. I I don't know. It's hard. Uh, The top two, though, I think are a little bit easier – Ochagbaje, I have it number two. It was a bit of a debate for me with with Ochai or Frank at the top spot because of the fact Ochai won the national title, won national player of the year. It makes it more of a conversation since Frank didn't get to do that. Uh, obviously, this would be this past year's Ochai versus 2016-17 uh, Frank Mason. But I just, like, I the national title matters. Winning Final Four MOP matters. It does. I agree. But, like, like, if we're just comparing the two teams – they were both pretty similar in terms of just how good they were over the course of the season. You know what I mean? And so, like, I'm not going to hold it against Frank that, like, he played well in the Elite Eight game. He had over 20 points. I'm not going to hold it against him that that happened.
0: Well, and look, as, as, much, as much as you, look, the the fact is, and I don't blame KU, the banner's not going to have any asterisks, but the, the bracket broke for KU this year, and Oregon was a pretty terrible matchup for KU in in 2017. And look, that's and that's part of the tournament. You're going to have years where, you know, that happens, and so that's not, um, the and, and that doesn't take anything away from Oregon. They they beat a fantastic KU team and they earned that Final Four bid. Um, but I do think you know sometimes things break your way in the tournament. Sometimes they don't, and KU took full advantage with in a bracket breaking their way this year. Um, like I guess and I just things I... happened in in seventeen. To
2: me, Frank was just just better than Ochai. I mean, he was he was national player of the year by every national he, he player was, of the year award. He, there, he was consensus, and
0: I don't even yeah. Second place was not. I don't think particularly cool. Frank Mason was might have had one of the best seasons in the history of KU basketball.
2: Yeah, so like I'm I'm not gonna hold it against him that. They only made the Elite Eight as as opposed to Ochai won the title just because other weird circumstances happened. I have Frank 1 and Ochai 2. The last question I'm going to get to today, we have another one from Frank. We'll get to you next week. Uh, Scott uh, asked, if I say the word subway, do you think of transportation or sandwiches first? I think of uh, sandwiches.
0: I have a friend uh, from my days in junior college who is now a big-time executive with the Subway Corp out in Connecticut. Um, And so I think of sandwiches because of my friend Renee. Okay,
2: uh, we agree on that. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. Let's take a timeout here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, Depend on it. <laughs> Joined now by Michael Swain of 247 Sports and Fog.net. And good timing with having you on, Michael. Over the last 24 hours, we've seen a couple of safeties commit to KU. Yesterday, it was Jarrett Paul, who uh, comes from Eastern Michigan. Before that, he was at Rutgers and kind of a uh, – Versatile player who's played corners, played safety in the past. Today, they get Marvin Grant from Purdue. And in the case of Paul, I I don't know this for sure. It's, It's tough to keep track of years and everything. I think Paul will be a senior, but he could have two years left to play. And Marvin Grant would be a, I don't know, he's played three years but one of them I think he redshirted so I think he was a redshirt sophomore I think he'd be a redshirt junior but because the COVID year I don't know have two or three more years I again it it's hard to keep track of everything um so let's let's start with Jarrett Paul first uh I guess just chronologically what is KU getting in Jarrett Paul
4: yeah for sure versatility um that's been a big thing that KU has looked for I think with the defensive back spots they've looked for kind of Adding three players with the thought being that you can get someone that can start alongside Kenny Logan, someone that's more of a versatile player that could play safety or cornerback and then getting a cornerback. And I think what KU has in Paul is someone that, like you said, has experience playing safety, uh, where he played at Rutgers and then playing cornerback, where he played at Eastern Michigan. So now that Marvin Grant is in the mix, I think you could probably expect someone like Jared Paul to maybe slide over and play some corner this year, which I think would be a huge help for KU to have two veteran voices there, obviously having Kalon and Gervin, the Michigan State transfer, who they added uh, over the winter. So I think that's a big deal and a big get just in terms of versatility, adding more experience, because I think when you look at the overall roster... You know, the defensive back room is probably the youngest room on the entire team. A lot of really, really young underclassmen there. So I think adding another veteran voice there um, is really big. And then w- with Marvin Grant, that's just a huge get because you look at someone that has played a lot of football for Purdue, a, a really good Big Ten program and had a lot of high level interest. It's really hard to get a good feel for who actually offers some of these transfer portal players, especially because they don't. You know, you can use some of that as leverage. so They don't want to necessarily put that out there. But with Marvin Grant, I know programs like, you know, Penn State, Michigan, um, Michigan State, Florida, were all interested in him. So I think to get him on board is a huge deal. And I think for Marvin Grant, the big deal for him was having someone like Rich Miller uh, on the team. And KU has done a lot of recruiting at a Martin Luther King High School in Detroit, which is where both Marvin Grant and rich miller are from so i think it's one of those things where pre-existing connections played a really big role in it and i think as this transfer portal age gets underway i think you're going to see a lot more of that where schools go back and really rely on some of those prior relationships and it really helps ku with both these players because both these players already knew a player on the team and or coaches so two really really big gets for ku
2: and yeah so it sounds like both guys will be uh kind of in that too deep and and maybe even starters in in both their mm-hmm. cases. Um, I guess, what does this mean for, for the current guys on the roster? I, I know maybe there were a little bit more holes at the cornerback position, but um, at the safety spot, I, I kind of liked going into the year with O.J. Burrows, And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Does this just mean he's a, kind of a, a nickel safety a sub guy? Uh, what does this do for the, the current guys that are at KU?
4: Yeah, I think for someone like O.J. Burroughs in particular, right, had a really good spring um, coaches spoke highly of him, but I think the plan has always been to add another safety to start against Kenny start alongside Kenny Logan so that someone like OJ Burroughs doesn't get thrown in the fire and gets overwhelmed or physically gets injured because it's a lot of physical play to play, you know, 12 out of 13 weeks when you're only, uh, you know, a sophomore, really like a redshirt freshman. Um, cause he, he played a, a good amount last year, but wasn't like a starter every game. So I think for someone like him, it allows him to be brought along at a slower pace. And I think you can really focus on the development side so that, you know, if Kenny Logan decides to leave after next year, maybe you have another player there that is ready to step in. If he's back for another year, then you get yourself OJ Burroughs two years where maybe that, that third year of his, of him being in the program, he's able to compete for more playing time and push those guys ahead of him. So I think it adds really good depth. And I think you can withstand some of the the grind and the attrition that happens over the course of a football season, because I think you saw last year, right, Kenny Logan got banged up there at certain points in the season and maybe wasn't able to play at his best. Well, now you've got uh, some quality depth there at safety to where, you know, you don't have to play Kenny Logan every single snap of a game. You can play him when you need to play him. And if he needs a, a series off, you can give him that series off. So I don't think this necessarily changes a whole lot where I'm thinking, OK, you're going to have you know X, Y, Z player transfer now. Uh, I think this is a really good thing because you're adding some veteran depth to where a lot of these younger guys can be brought along. And development has been the hallmark, I think, of this Lance pulled staff, and it allows them to really hone in and do that with some of these younger guys.
2: I'm talking with Michael Swain of Fog.net here. So the new scholarship rule is, um, at least for the next two years, has been passed that basically allows, instead of having 25 per year, you get up to the 85, kind of similar to basketball. You can just bring up... To the limit, I I said on yesterday's show I thought that would be a huge boon for KU. Do you have any idea like what? Uh, I know it's like so hard to tell with blue shirts and, and gray shirts and transfers mm-hmm. and guys going in and out and who's a walk on who earned a scholarship. But do you have like any idea of what the scholarship count is or around for KU of how many extra uh, bodies this could allow them to bring in?
4: Yeah, so I think. Thankfully, um, Lance Leipold did an interview with Sports Illustrated um, earlier this spring, kind of when that whole Lawrence Arnold thing was happening, when maybe is he going to enter the portal, is he not? When that was going down, he did an interview with SI and said KU is in the the low 70s in terms of scholarship numbers. And that was after kind of that, that big burst uh, of players going to the transfer portal. And so considering the fact that KU's added – you know, what is it with Marvin Grant committing today? I think it's about five, six players. So I think you're now in the mid seventies in terms of scholarship numbers. I don't think KU is going to rush to try to get to 85 before this season. I think they'd, you run the risk of, are you taking players that you want on your roster? Or are you just taking bodies just to take the bodies? And so I think what this does is it allows KU then for the 2023 class to know what it has. And you know, you're going to lose about seven players due to eligibility um, to the super seniors. And then after that, it's a question of, you know, what other players transfer out after the conclusion of next season? And then that's going to be your number that you can take to get back up to 85. And so KU will be able to get back up to that. Um, I I think for the 2023 football season, I don't think they're going to try and really rush to do that for 2022. I I think they've got their targets in mind. Obviously, a a real big get in in Grant earlier today that takes a, a need off your plate. But now it's just a question of, You know, which players are they going to go after to fill out the 2023 roster? Are they going to try and go high school? Um, Because obviously the high school class for the class of 2022 is really small. Um, And I think that's a question we'll kind of see once this season happens and they see where they are depth wise. How much do some of these transfers that they brought in? How much are they helping? Do you need more help at certain positions? So I think that's the kind of dynamic you're facing now with KU, but this is a huge deal. Um, and you almost wish KU would have been able to do this five, six, seven years ago um, rather than now because they are so close to that E five cap, but it really does help KU. And I'm interested to see the impact it does have on other programs too. Not having to worry about, okay, you can only take X income encounters each year. Um, do other programs get more, um, aggressive with who they pursue each year and continue to recruit over guys. So I think it's an interesting dynamic. I think it helps KU and I'm really sure to see too, are they going to keep it after the two years? Cause obviously this is just a trial run, but I think that'll be something that's interesting to watch.
2: Well, something you talked about there with the in-state recruiting that has been uh, very much a storyline on social media and um, kind of around the program right now, they don't have any commits for the class of, of 2023. And you know, I've, I've you kind of hear both sides of it, stories about maybe the staff not knowing all of these top-end players or maybe not doing as good of a job in-state as Kansas State, but then you also hear stories about, well, what do you expect them to do? Kansas State has been, you know, a legit good Power 5, Big 12 team over the last however long, whereas Kansas hasn't even won four games in, in over a decade. So, of course, your your in-state recruiting is going to suffer. How do you kind of view what is going on right now in the state of Kansas and like you said, um, do you think that will make them more aggressive with the, the scholarship rule now in the state?
4: Yeah, um, there's a there's lot to unpack there. Uh, I think from a big picture sense, multiple things can be true at once. Is KU putting in more effort locally than past staffs? 100% yes. You know, when I was down in Wichita last Friday talking to high school coaches, that was a resounding feel. Was that this staff has seen more? Lance leipold was seen more when he was allowed on the road. Um, this staff is putting in a lot more effort. Now it's just a question of do they have the right connections with the staff members they have right now to leverage that effort? And that's just kind of the question now. Um, they don't necessarily have a in-state guy. Jake Schoonover was that, and now he's at Arkansas State. Um, and so I think that's kind of the dynamic at play here. Um, the college or the high school coaches like this staff. Um, they like the way that they go about things and how professional they are. But again, it's kind of about the connection side of things where K-State has a guy that basically is focused on the Kansas high school kids and that is his job. And so for to my knowledge, he doesn't necessarily have that at this moment. And again, we are just over one year into the Lance Leipold era. You know, and I think Leipold has shown that he will make decisions and change things if you see something is wrong. And so I think the overreaction to the first full cycle might be a little strong. Um, I think a part of that is a result of this class being so deep and being so strong. One of the strongest in-state classes in some time. If you talk to guys like, you know, Cle- Kevin Flaherty, who've been doing this for a long time, that's what this class is. And so some of it, I understand the frustration of not having, um, a lot of commits right now or being in a position where you know, you're going to be in the fight for multiple in-state guys, but I'd still say it's too early to freak out. You know, Calvin Clements is a local guy that's going to take an official visit to campus. Uh, Samuel Semay out of Derby is someone that KU has been in on for a long time. He likes KU. He'll probably take an official visit this summer. And then Andre Davis um, I believe out of Latha, Um, He's going to most likely take an official visit. He's kind of more on the quiet side. So too early to say this has been a success or a failure in state class for KU, but um, I certainly understand both sides. And I think that's the thing about, you know, especially a lot of this discourse happens on Twitter. Um, not a lot of nuance on Twitter. Correct. And so I think that there needs to be more nuance with the conversation. And so I think give the staff time and, and we'll have to see where things go. Uh, I've definitely going to ride the fence here and not going to make um, any assertions just because I think it's too early. Well, let's talk in August, let's talk in December, and, and then we'll see what what things are.
2: Yeah, that's, I, I guess that's my biggest thing, They give it time. And I, I said this yesterday, and, and I made kind of the analogy of being in a class. I'll, I'll make an analogy of, like, you know, if I, I get it. It, it's, it can be frustrating if you're a high school staff and, you know, the coaches come out to visit and maybe they didn't know about a kid in your district that should be a D1 player. But, like, what do you expect? If I, if I took a cooking class and on day one the guy who's teaching the class tells me, hey, bake a cake. Like I, I'm not going to know what I'm doing. That's that's the whole point of me taking the class. That's the whole point of these coaches putting in the effort to go out to these schools so that they can get to know all these guys and players. And I get it. There's there's more to it because um, I can Google online how to make a cake, and you can Google online like all the prospects in Kansas. But I just I I guess that part just doesn't. Uh, I don't know, totally ring for me. And the, the one thing that I find interesting, and this is more of a a I guess, philosophical thing, because with all the debate over how important in-state recruiting is, it absolutely is huge for Kansas. And again, we don't know how long-term the scholarship rule is going to be intact. So if that rule is is only intact for two more years, then when it's not intact, it becomes even more important to make your backbone off local guys. But I do wonder, if the rule does stay that you can just go up to 85 every year, it would be a lot easier to just consistently build your program off of transfers. And I wonder, from a future perspective, if like, what do you think would have a bigger impact on positive in-state recruiting for KU? Would it be landing a bunch of these 2023 guys and they play significant roles for KU on some three- and four-win teams? Or would it be Ku landing a bunch of transfers right now and going to a bowl game, and you know the the impact of of what that would do perception wise? Which of those two do you think would would register more?
4: Yeah, I think it's really a question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. And I think in this case, you understand where Ku is going from. They are going to try and win games this fall, and they have gone out and gotten transfers that will help add depth, make them more competitive. And as a result, I think that you look at the in-state recruits and, you know, they've seen, they've grown up, right? The last 10 years is when a lot of these guys, you know, you know, the eight years old, to 18 years old, these guys watch KU be awful for the last decade. And so there's kind of that stigma there. And so you have to change that and you have to win games to change that. And I think that, the way that KU staff has done it is one of the ways to do it. It's by trying to use the transfer portal to plug the holes in the roster and make yourself more competitive so that you can win, you know, four and five games, maybe at the high end this year. I think six would be over the put people over the moon getting to a bowl game. I think that's a little unrealistic, but even winning four or five games be a huge deal, huge deal most wins you've had in almost a decade, if not a decade, like that would help change things because then you give recruits tangible evidence right now. KU is selling kids on hope, um, and a vision and the Texas win in the final three weeks of the season and being competitive recruits want to see wins. And I think for KU going about it this way, gets yourself in a position where you can win games and most likely change what people think. So I think this is certainly one way to go about it. Um, I think that it's probably if you think about the way that things have gone in the past, I think it's probably the right way to go about it. So it's not glamorous. It doesn't maybe endear you to, you know, local recruits to not necessarily put a huge focus on them at this point in the cycle when a lot of this has been on getting those transfers on campus, filling out the roster for 2022. But I think it's one of those deals where we'll pay dividends, you know, maybe late in 2023, going into 2024 and the cycles
2: to come. We're talking with Michael Swain. It's funny. We've spent all this time talking KU football. Normally, at this point in the offseason with NBA Draft Combine talking on it, it'd (laughs) be vice versa in years past. But, uh, you know, that's, I guess, the Lance Leipold and uh, the impact of increasing interest in KU football. Um, I I do want to ask about some KU basketball, though. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we saw Jalen Wilson bump up to the NBA Draft Combine. Christian Brown going through it. Didn't measure ultra well yesterday. Now, the 6'7", that that was measuring well. But a lot of the other things, like I think uh, hand width, hand length, uh, standing reach, wingspan, were all like bottom 10 among the 80, however, guys that were there. But then he also had a 40-inch max vertical, which I think was the second best of anyone there. So a bit of a mixed bag, but certainly by the performance and you see more hype going around him, sounds like he's going to still be just fine. I I asked you last week what percentage you would put on Christian Brown staying in the draft. You said 90%. I think you said 60% for Jalen Wilson coming back. Has, has has either of those numbers changed for you?
4: Um, no, n- not really. I-, I still think that Christian will leave. And I think the whole, you know, hand size and length. If you like Christian Brown, you'll point to the vertical, you'll point to what he did in college games. If you don't, you're gonna point to the wingspan, you'll point to the hand size, you'll you'll find reasons to not like him. And I th- think just based on you know, what guys like Mike Schmitz and some of the other NBA draft people have put on Twitter, a lot of people like Christian Brown. And so I think he'll leave. I, I think that's still pretty certain. Um, G.L. Wilson's interesting because he man he has put himself in a position um, to play his way onto draft radars. We'll see how he does in the scrimmages um, and how he does competing because obviously he had a hot couple days from three-pointer, uh, from three-point land, I think seven of 11 over the two scrimmages there at the G League Elite Camp. Um, that's a big deal for him. So I still lean that he probably will come back because I think the the draft scouts are going to want to see consistency from the three-pointer. And sure, he's on a hot streak right now, but I think their question might be, all right, is this legit or is this just a hot streak from a player that you know has had a couple of those during his college career? So I do still think he comes back. I think this is a positive for him, though, confidence-wise to know that he is on the brink. And I think this is maybe... This is me now projecting um, similar to what happened with Ocha Abaji last year, where you're on the fringe and you're on the fringe. Well, you could stay in and take a risk and go that way or you can come back. And so that's kind of the the question and the dynamic at play here. And I I do lean that, that Jalen comes back at Christian Leaves, which gives KU probably one scholarship to work with.
2: Kevin McCuller has been trending for KU in the crystal ball right now on 24 seven sports. So it seems like that would be the most likely of transfer options. Let's say Jalen Wilson did end up going pro into the NBA draft. So you'd have two scholarships. Who do you think would be the most likely second guy to fill it?
4: Yeah, that's kind of the question now, right? Tyrese Hunter wrapped up his, wrapped up his visit um, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I'm not sure technically when he left campus, but it was before the kind of the dead period started. Um, that's kind of a big one. Hard to really get a huge gauge. You know, there was some Texas buzz um, after the visit and even kind of heading into the Kansas visit that Texas might be the team to beat for him. But again, it's really hard to get a read on some of this stuff. Um, you know, I've covered Ty- two of Tyrese Hunter's recruitments now and getting information that is solid that you feel really, really good about. is hard to come by. Um, so you'd like to say him. I think Courtney Ramey, the Texas guard is someone that might be a player to keep an eye on too. Um, it does sound like he's kind of focused on trying to go pro, but I think so is everyone else. Like if you talk to people around Kevin McCuller, they'll say he's focused on going pro um, as well. But I think that kind of changes once you get the feedback from kind of those pro people. So I think, you know, Courtney Ramey, Tyrese Hunter, are probably the two names I would be looking at in terms of that second scholarship spot. If Jalen Wilson does in fact leave, because I think you look at someone like Kevin McCullough and he can play kind of that two, three, four, For Bill Self, Um, and even you look at the roster too. Someone like KJ Adams could play the four if Zach Clements is at the five and has spacing there. So. Um, yeah, I think those two guards, are probably the ones I'll have my eye on, but I think a lot of that stuff will change too. Once we figure out kind of who is coming back to college, um, from the G league elite camp and from the NBA combine. Cause I think from there, K, okay, you could be able to maybe pick off uh, one player to we'll have to kind of see there, but it does look like, you know, our reporting has been pretty solid there. I think Kevin McCullough will come to Kansas. If he, if he comes back to college,
2: he is Michael Swain. Check out all his work, subscribe to fog.net. There's great stuff. Uh, in there and, and some more other great nuggets as well with Michael before we let you go one last thing with Adam
0: all right Michael one last thing have you ever received a delivery that was meant for somebody else but was mistakenly sent to you
4: oh yeah multiple times multiple times i always give it back though i don't open the package i'm not that was to the follow-up
0: now <laughs> i uh, i got a big old bag of dog food once that uh, i wasn't expecting i called amazon and they said yeah that happens sometimes just keep it You're like I, what am i oh. gonna do with it <laughs> we donated it to a local uh vet ah that was nice of you i wouldn't have thought See, of that
4: Adam, that's two weeks in a row you've tried to get me to admit to a felony. Um <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen.
2: <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Yeah, we'll see next week. Uh we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get you. He's Michael Swain, twenty four seven sportsfog.net. Michael, appreciate the time as always, man. Definitely thanks, guys. That was Michael Swain. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. You're listening on FM one oh one seven and thirteen twenty K L W N, depending on it.